Hello, everyone. Grab a seat. Lovely to see you. Uh, tonight we uh, we continue in Leviticus. It's party time tonight. And yeah, we got we got the uh, the uh, calendar of festivals. We get to know how to celebrate the annual festivals of the people. We come uh, to see how the their whole calendar is organised in fifty-year blocks. Uh, so as we come to God's word tonight, let me pray for us. Father, we know that you are light, and in your light we see light. So please, by your Spirit, enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we might see Jesus clearly here tonight. Amen. We're talking about festivals. I'm sure you know, don't you, that today is one of the most uh, exciting festivals of the year. Very important festival today. Anyone know what it is? It is, of course... Steve's wife, Jane's birthday. Jane Lister's birthday. Happy birthday, Jane. Happy. And Steve's in Queensland. That is not how you celebrate the festival. Don't do that, fellas. <laughs> you think he forgot? No, he wouldn't forget anything like that, would he? <laughs> birthday, you hope not. Birthdays are an important marker of time for us, aren't they? I hope you haven't forgotten the. Uh, the great festival that's on Wednesday. Everyone knows the great festival that's on Wednesday, don't we? Andrew's birthday. Yes. We'll all celebrate the festival together. It's Thursday. It's Thursday. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. My birthday's April 26, by the way. Just so you know. I might like to write that down. I think Lucy and I were married for about three years before she knew when my birthday was. I know. Birthdays mark time for us, don't they? Your birthday month feels special. They help us keep track of the years. They help us remember God's grace to us in the year that has been. They help us look forward to God's grace to us in the year that's going to come. Birthdays are great because I think we are very prone to forgetting God's grace to us. We just forget all the time. When exams are approaching, that's the time you don't want to be forgetting things, isn't it? Um, but oh, how often do study and exam stress crowd out memories of God's grace? Um, you're so focused that you, you forget. But I think Leviticus 23, 4 and 5, I think that helps us remember God's grace and blessing. And in fact, Leviticus 23, 4 and 5 helps us anticipate God's grace and blessing to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So these are the chapters we're in tonight um, in your subject outline. You've got three points, and the first one is festivals of grace. So festivals of grace, point one, let's look at this calendar of festivals that was to regulate God's people and their year. You remember last week we read about holiness, God's people are to be holy, um, dedicated to him, they're to be holy because God is holy. Uh, last week we saw all sorts of holy conduct. This week we have holy time. Holy time. Holy assemblies. This, understand that this is um, the high point of Leviticus. This is exciting now. Are you excited? Good. Leviticus is about how we live with a holy God, living with God. And we've seen um, sacrifices needed to approach God. We've seen the washing and cleansing needed to approach God. We've seen... Uh, the tabernacle, the tent where God lives so they can approach him. And now, finally, we have 
the time to meet God, make your appointment now. And understand that this is really exciting. In Leviticus, this is exciting. It's all in place, and now finally, you can actually make your appointment. So we'll start with these festivals tonight, and I want to show you um, how these festivals helped the people remember God's grace to them in the past and help anticipate God's grace to them and us in the future. Um, particularly the abundant blessing of Jesus. So, Leviticus, chapter 23, verse 1. Let's start here, chapter 23, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, These are my appointed times, the times of the Lord, that you will proclaim as sacred assemblies. Okay, so Moses is going to set out their calendar. Here's my calendar. Here we go. It's my 2021. Looking a bit blank at the moment, so let's start filling it in. The first thing to lock in is the weekly Sabbath. So let's lock that in, the weekly Sabbath, every week. What day is the Sabbath? Saturday, excellent. So we'll lock out every Saturday. Look at um, chapter 23, verse 3. Work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day there is to be a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy, a sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord where you live. Uh, a sacred or holy assembly. They are not to do any work. These are things that we'll see repeated, repeated throughout this chapter. No work, no study. It's proper, no harvest. It's a proper day off. It's a proper day off. I grew up in, in the east of Sydney and in, near my suburb there are lots of Orthodox Jews and they will not press electronic buttons on the Sabbath. So when you get to the traffic lights, there's a pedestrian button, they cannot press it to trigger it. And so the council there has installed motion sensors. So they trigger the traffic lights. Um, they are serious about this. No work means no work. And what does the Sabbath remind God's people of? Uh, his work of creation. The Sabbath reminds God's people of his work of creation. Genesis 1, God created the world. And what does Genesis 1 say? On the seventh day, he rested from his work of creation, having finished everything. So every Saturday, God's people are reminded that God made the world and they did not. That's what they're reminded of. But then they're given this anticipation of eternal rest with God, joining him in this rest that we can now enter in Jesus. And um, we're reminded of this every Sunday when we meet with our church family, aren't we? That's the Sabbath. That's weekly. Okay, we've got to lock in some annual dates next, don't we? Now, the Jewish calendar is a lunar one and we have a solar calendar. So the dates move around a bit in our solar calendar. This is uh, 2021, what it will look like this year. So the next thing to lock in is Passover. Let's look at chapter 23, verse 5. The Passover to the Lord comes in the first month at twilight on the 14th day of the month. So let's lock that in. Passover's there in March. Oh, we've missed it. Oh, it's okay. Uh, these dates are 2021. You'll have to look up 2022 for the next Passover. Uh, and uh, linked to Passover is the Festival of Unleavened Bread. Look at 23 verse 6. The Festival of Unleavened Bread, like flatbread, um, to the Lord is on the 15th day of the same month. For seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you are to hold a sacred assembly. You are, to do, you are not to do any daily work. You are to present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day there will be a sacred assembly 
do not do any daily work. That's the feast, festival of unleavened bread. So let's make sure that's locked in as well. That one goes for the whole week after Passover. There are offerings to be made. There's a holy assembly. There's no work that you can do. And these festivals, Passover and unleavened bread, they remind God's people each year of God's grace to them as he brought them out of slavery in Egypt. And the story of the Exodus, that powerful act of God's redemption and grace. So they celebrate these festivals every year. They explain the story to their kids. God's redemption gets stored in their collective memory. They will not forget what God has done for them. But these festivals, they also foreshadow the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who on the day before Passover was himself sacrificed as our Passover lamb, who redeemed us from slavery to sin, who has liberated us to love each other freely. So we celebrate Passover at what date is this? It's Easter. It's Easter. Each Easter, we celebrate the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are reminded of his grace to us, aren't we? As we pass it on to the next generation, God's grace to us gets stored in our collective memory. We don't forget. Okay, there's heaps more. The next thing to lock in comes at harvest time, but it's the Northern Hemisphere, so their seasons are wrong, but it's okay. The Festival of First Fruits, that's next in verses 9 to 14, so let's lock that one in. Um, well, look, that uh, happens to overlap with the Festival of Unleavened Bread this year. They're, um, they're all stacked on top of each other in those couple of weeks of spring, aren't they? Oh, we've got a stray one in there already, have we? Yeah, we don't need Pentecost yet. Pentecost is in May. Um, uh, well, let's go there now, hey. Um, uh, first fruits and um, the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, they kind of bookend harvest. This is when you're all harvesting, isn't it? Maybe not. It's the other side of the world, so they're harvesting at a different time. And uh, as they celebrate the fest- festival of the first fruits, they are to offer the first bit of grain that they get to God. They hand it back to Him. What do you do with the first bit of grain you guys pick? You send it to the lab, don't you? <laughs> test it. You test it. Um, that's good business practice now, um, but. As the people give God's grain back to him, this is what they're reminded of, that God is the one who's given us this harvest. For the festival of first fruits, they, uh, they celebrate in anticipation of the harvest to come. Just like, as Paul describes Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, he describes him as the first fruits from the dead. Jesus was raised from the dead, anticipating the resurrection to come. And then um, we've got... Um, the Festival of Weeks, Pentecost, so you're meant to count 50 days, and that will be about the end of harvest. Uh, And um, uh, we're to celebrate... uh, Sorry, uh, Pentecost, um, that celebrates harvest, but it also reminds us of what happens at Pentecost in the book of Acts in chapter 2, when the risen Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit on his people, the beginning of a new spiritual harvest. It's pointing forwards as well to Jesus, isn't it? These are the spring festivals. Um, They're all kind of packed together in that part of the year. But then there are the autumn festivals as well. We'll move quicker through these. Firstly, there's verse 23, the Feast of Trumpets. Sounds noisy, but lock that one in. Verse 23, down there in September. Uh, Then verse 26, there's the Day of Atonement. We covered that in chapter 16. We'll lock that one in too. 
then verse 33, there's the festival of shelters or the festival of tabernacles, the festival of tents or booths or whatever translation you've got. They lived in tents, so something like uh, this one. Uh, we've got a picture of it, lovely. Uh, I think that's what it looked like. Uh, so lock that one into the calendar. Thank you, Caitlin. And uh, these autumn festivals, they all kind of group together at the start of the agricultural year. Uh, these are significant festivals. They determine the year for God's people in the land under God's rule and God's blessing. And the key thing for us is to see that these are not just mindless rituals that the people go through over and over again. No, um, they're parties. <laughs> they're parties. And they're designed to help the people remember God's grace to them and to anticipate what God is going to give them in the future. Festivals of grace. Excellent. Well, we spent a lot of time there. So let's move to point two. The point two is the blessing of rest. The blessing of rest, because I want to show you how the Sabbath principle of seven pervades these whole chapters. Um, for in chapter 23, as we read it through, did you notice the number seven appearing over and over again? The Sabbath is on the seventh day. The festivals are celebrated for seven days. Pentecost is seven weeks after the harvest festival. In the seventh month, verse 23, 27, 33, 39, there's a concentration of parties in the seventh month. So come across now to chapter 25. We'll come back to chapter 24 in a minute. Come to chapter 25. Uh, let me show you how this Sabbath pattern of seven repeats on like a larger scale for the people. Uh, firstly, there is a pattern in chapter 25 of letting the land rest every seven years. No farming every seven years. Chapter 25, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. Speak to the Israelites and tell them, when you enter the land I am giving you, the land will observe a Sabbath to the Lord. You may sow your field for six years, and you may prune your vineyard and gather its produce for six years, but there will be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land in the seventh year, a Sabbath to the Lord. You are not to sow your field or prune your vineyard, you are not to reap what grows by itself from your crop or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. It is to be a year of complete rest for the land. Whatever the land produces during the Sabbath year can be food for you, for yourself, your male or female slave, and the hired worker or alien who resides with you. All of its growth may serve as food for your livestock and the wild animals in your land. They've got to let the land rest every seven years. Is that good farming practice? Simple yes or no. Oh, it is. All right, there you go. Uh, this Sabbath principle, um, it gets maximised. It gets blown up every seven times seven years. This is the year of Jubilee, and it's a year of grace and blessing. Look at verse 8, the year of Jubilee. You are to count seven sabbatical years, seven times seven years, so that the time period of the seven sabbatical years amounts to 49. Does that matter to check out? I did an arts degree, I don't know. Yep, good. Then you are to sound a ram's horn loudly in the seventh month. On the tenth day of the month, you will sound it throughout your land on the Day of Atonement. You are to consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim freedom in the land for all its inhabitants. It will be your jubilee when each of you is to return to his property and each of you to his clan. The fiftieth year will be your jubilee. You are not to sow, reap what grows by itself or harvest its untended vines. It is to be holy to you because it is the jubilee. You may only eat its produce directly from the field. <clears throat> so every 50 years, the economy 
resets. If you have debts, they're cleared. If you sold land, it's returned to you. If you've ended up in slavery, you are freed. The slate is wiped clean. Now, who wouldn't love a clean slate? What a blessing that is to God's people. You can see the effect this would have, can't you? Um, You don't end up with a few super-rich people and a lot of people in poverty. All all wealth accumulation gets cancelled every 50 years. This is a key Old Testament text for us as we think about um, generosity and as we think about caring for those in need. It prompts us to be generous with our time, with our money, with our resources. Generosity is built into God's society here, isn't it? Are you generously caring for those in need? Generosity is built into God's society. There is to be no gap between the wealthy and the poor amongst God's people in God's place. No, they all receive God's blessing. Uh, In fact, that's the key principle behind this chapter. They all receive God's blessing because God owns all of it. All the land is God's. You can buy and sell whatever you want, but really all the land is God's. So he decides what happens to it. You can buy and sell whomever you want, but all people belong to God. He decides what happens to them. This is a principle of grace and a principle of blessing. And I think we're meant to realise that this is an ideal society. This is good. Uh, when, When things reset every 50 years, this is good. It is blessed by God. It is holy. Uh, These people are meeting year-round with their God. The situation is good when the people finally have their calendar. And so I want to show you two images in the scriptures of what this eternal blessing looks like. So point three, eternal blessing. There are two images of this eternal blessing. The first image is Leviticus chapter 24. So come back to Leviticus chapter 24. (coughs) We get taken into the tabernacle, the tent of meeting where God meets with his people. And I've got a picture for you of the tabernacle. There it is. Um, There's the courtyard and there's the tent up there. Let's zoom into the tent. We'll take you inside. Look at this. It's very shiny in there, isn't it? Um, uh, You've got two rooms. And the first room on this side, there's a red curtain. You can draw that across. And the room on this side is the most holy place. This is where God dwells with his people. Got to be behind the curtain. And in front of the curtain, in this room, the holy place, we've got an altar of incense, good, good. But here's the important things to see. You've got the candlestick, you've got this lampstand here, and you've got this bread. Uh, The lampstand and the bread. That's what we're going to focus in on in chapter 24. Uh, And what chapter 24 gives us is, uh, it's symbolic, I think, of God's blessing and the ideal Sabbath rest God's people in his light. God's people in God's blessed presence at rest. And uh, to paint this picture, chapter 24 uses this this lamp, this candlestick, and these pieces of bread. Before we read the passage, I'll tell you what to look for. Uh, The lamp, the lamp, the candlestick, symbolise God's blessing. God's blessing. Where the lamp shines, so too does God's blessing. What was the psalm really opened the service with? May God be gracious to us and bless us. May his face shine upon us. God's blessing is like a lamp. He is light. This lamp is a symbol of God's face shining. And the lamp shines on this bread. 
That's where the lamp shines. It's meant to be tilted so it shines on the bread. The bread represents Israel. There are 12 pieces of bread, two stacks of six. It's a bit hard to tell, but there are 12 pieces of bread, 12 tribes of Israel. The bread represents Israel. So it's the lamp. The light of the lamp shines on the bread, so it symbolizes the light of God's blessing shining on his people. Okay, you've got the symbolism. Let's actually have a, have a look at it in Leviticus chapter 24. Chapter 24, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses. Command the Israelites to bring you pure oil from crushed olives for the light in order to keep the lamp burning regularly. Aaron is to tend it continually from evening until morning before the Lord outside the curtain of the testimony in the tent of meeting. This is a permanent statute throughout your generations. He must continually tend the lamps on the pure gold lampstand in the Lord's presence. Verse 5, take fine flour and bake it into 12 loaves. Each loaf is to be made with four quarts. Arrange them in two rows, six to a row, on the pure gold table before the Lord. Place pure frankincense near each row so that it may serve as a memorial portion for the bread and a food offering to the Lord. The bread is to be set out before the Lord every Sabbath day as a permanent covenant obligation on the part of the Israelites. It belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in a holy place, for it is the holiest portion for him from the food offering to the Lord. This is a permanent rule. The tabernacle is very symbolic, isn't it? I think we miss it because we don't know the language, do we? We miss it as we read Leviticus, but it's very symbolic, it's visual, it's a different way to engage the people's senses. Um, to remind them of God's grace and God's blessings to them with visual cues. This is what true Sabbath rest, enjoying God's blessing, is meant to look like. And um, this is the point of Leviticus. <laughs> this is the point of Leviticus as a whole. This is the point of all these laws and all these sacrifices and all these washings. God's people basking in God's presence and his light and his fellowship with them as God's people in God's place under God's blessing and rule. This is the high point of Leviticus. Leviticus, it's so hard to understand because we don't see the symbolism. Um, But here it is. This is the Old Testament picture of eternal blessing. And the people are reminded of it every Sabbath, every week, week after week, the people are reminded of what good (laughs) um, living in God's presence is meant to look like. Otherwise, they forget. Good. So that's the first image of eternal blessing. I said there were two. The second image of eternal blessing is the passage we read from Luke's gospel earlier. Jesus reads from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61, which is a picture, a picture of the year of Jubilee, an anticipation of uh, God's people, of his eternal blessing. And Jesus makes a startling claim. Uh, Here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. The news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being praised by everyone. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day, on the Sabbath day, and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, See the picture of the year of Jubilee here. 
The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. That's an astounding claim. Today as you listen, this scripture is fulfilled. Jesus is saying that at this moment, at this moment as he reads, he is proclaiming the year of Jubilee. He is proclaiming eternal blessing right there and then. Good news to the poor, release to the captives, sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed, the year of the Lord's favour. All this blessing that the people are reminded of in their calendar, all this blessing that their calendar anticipates, it all focuses on Jesus. These festivals of grace, they're about Jesus. This, these jubilee years, they're about Jesus. This lampstand and the bread in the tabernacle, they're about Jesus. And they remind us, forgetful people, of his grace to us and his blessing to us. But they also anticipate for us our, our own eternal rest. That day when, like the bread and the lamp, we will dwell in the light of God, who is pure light. What it anticipates that day when we will see the face of Jesus and his face will shine upon us in eternal blessing. And friends, I think this is a great reminder for you as you head into exams. Because now is the time of year that you forget all of this. Now, don't these chapters remind you of something beyond the exam period? Or something greater than the exam period? When you feel that crushing weight of anxiety... Um, shrink your vision down onto this present and immediate problem well, that you have. <laughs> Has anyone else experienced such a physical manifestation of anxiety? I don't feel like that's what happens to your exam table sometimes. I just don't know how to answer this question. And it just shrinks. There you go. You'll do. Doesn't it feel like that's what happens to your desk? It just disappears. You can't see anything else. And you can't focus on anything else. And you can't think about anything else. Well, friends, don't, doesn't this passage, doesn't, don't these festivals, doesn't what Jesus say remind us that there is actually something greater, that there is actually something bigger that we can actually look up from our desks and our study notes and our laptops and actually see, oh, there is something much more important going on here. Let God's word remind you of his eternal grace and his eternal blessing. Let God's church remind you week by week as you come and hear the scriptures proclaimed. Let God's church remind you to celebrate God's grace with his people. And let Jesus' words give you freedom. Let Jesus' words give you freedom, though you might feel poor and constantly worried how close your bank balance is to zero. He has good news for you. Though you might feel captive or oppressed by depression or anxiety, Jesus has declared an eternal freedom. That you might feel blind to his grace. 
by his spirit, he can recover your sight. Thank the Lord for his eternal favour to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, as I reset this podium, uh, what I want you to do is uh, think of some questions that you might have for these passages. This is what we normally do at Uni Church. have question time afterwards. If you would like to, you can use this QR code and uh, put a question down there and I will get back to you after I get back from the staff conference. Um, alternatively, if you'd like to ask a question now, then stick your hand up and I'll give it a go. Give it a go at answering. So, any questions? Yes. Yes. Why is seven the number? Why is seven the number? That's a good question, but I expect it has something to do with how nature works. Um, uh, why is seven an important number? It wouldn't really make sense, I suppose, to put the Sabbath every eighth day, would it? Uh, lunar calendars kind of mess up your whole year anyway because every few years you need a whole extra month in there, um, uh, which is which is why we uh, the Romans which just to a switch us to a solar calendar. Why the number seven? Um, I can't think of any explanation in the scriptures as to why the number seven is important in and of itself. I imagine um, as you look at how the world works, you just see sevens. That's my best guess. It's a good question. Can you uh, explain the 50th year when all debts are cancelled? Can you explain how that works? People who have gone through debt, everyone just goes equal. Yes. Essentially, if you, if you gain assets and money, you lose that because you give it all back to the people you gave that off. Yeah. You give it back. If I buy your field, I give it back. <clears throat> if I buy your slave, I give them back. If you owe me money, that debt is cancelled. Which is why there's quite a lot of um, details in there. Uh, um, like verse 16, uh, it's talking about buying and selling. As the year of Jubilee approaches, verse 16, you are to increase its price in proportion to a greater amount of years and decrease its price in proportion to a lesser amount of years because what he is selling to you is a number of harvests. Um, uh, if, if I buy your field, you're selling me a number of harvests rather than the land in perpetuity. So it's a whole different way of doing economics and business. So pretty much you just can't sell it a year before Jubilee and give it like, for a really high price and then get given back the next year. That's right, yeah. You're selling one harvest yeah. and it might fail. So, yeah. Uh, people aren't stupid, so they're not going to pay a million bucks to rent a field for a year, essentially. Uh, yeah, it's radical, isn't it? It's radical. It doesn't make sense to us because it doesn't, it's not how our society works. Um, there's not a whole heap of evidence that, that this is how Israel actually lived when they actually got into the land. Um, uh, but I think this might change how people think about greed, how people think about wealth, how people think about self-sufficiency. And uh, I think what it does is to remind you that God owns everything. Uh, um, God owns it, and it's his. That should change how we think about things, shouldn't it? It's a good question, yeah. Um, any other questions? Yep. Okay. How does the Sabbath relate to us now? How does the Sabbath relate to us now? Well, what did you do yesterday? Not much. 
Okay, well, let's talk very quickly about the Sabbath and how we observe the Sabbath now. A um, uh, key principle, as we read these Old Testament laws, is that they all find their fulfillment in Jesus. So we are not obliged, like God's people in the Old Testament, to keep the Sabbath as not just, not just being lazy, but a sacred assembly, a holy assembly. Um, uh, we're not obliged to do that for salvation. Do you remember what uh, Steve talked about last week? Was it last week, I think? Uh, that in the New Testament, the, the law is repudiated as a way of salvation. It's replaced by Jesus. It's reappropriated as wisdom and prophecy. And I think um, in the New Testament, Jesus quite... Uh, uh, he's, every time he does something on a Sabbath, he gets in trouble for doing something on a Sabbath, doesn't he? So the way that Jesus treats the Sabbath... It's not as it's not as though you can't press a button to cross a road. Uh, it, Jesus is actually the Sabbath is for doing good. Um, uh, I think what Jesus does is change our whole orientation to the law. And he says, if the Sabbath is really about me, um, it doesn't mean you don't press buttons. It actually means you're to do good. Um, so. Uh, um, Excellent. That's why we go and do good stuff on Saturdays. Um, uh, we meet on a Sunday mainly because of, I think the resurrection of Jesus is on a Sunday. Jesus is raised on the first day of the week, a Sunday. First day of the week is new life, new beginnings. That's why the Christian church generally meets on a Sunday. Um, uh, but you also hear, don't you talk about how actually having a rest every, every week is good for us? I'm sure you all feel exhausted right about now because you haven't been resting, um, uh, which is fair enough. You're right at the pointy end of the semester. Uh, um, maybe rest is important, but we'll have to think more about that. That's a good question. If you want to talk more about the Sabbath, come and grab me afterwards. Let's go to the last question. That was it? That was the same question. Anyone else got a last question? No, excellent. Okay, well, um, uh, let me close by uh, praying for us. Uh, as I pray, I'll pray the words of Psalm 67 that we read at the beginning. As I pray these words, um, as we get ready, as we sing our final song. <coughs> so let me pray for us the words of Psalm 67. Uh, may God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us so that... His way may be known on earth, our salvation among all nations. Our God, let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, Lord. Let all the people praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, you are our God, and you bless us. And we know confidently that you will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear your name. Amen. Please stand. Oh, there we go. Um, yeah, let's 
celebrate through some of the blessings that we have from God in and from